once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of this podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. How are you in uh, time period currently? <laughs> How am I in current year argument? I am uh, I'm feeling a bit fuzzy today, Jay. That's how I'm feeling. You're feeling fuzzy. I am sitting in a garden being detested by an elderly cat (laughs) because I don't have the right sort of lap to curl up in. Jay, I don't know what to say. (laughs) I know. It is kind of one of those things of, so she may come over and meow at me at some point during the podcast, and it may also rain because that's what happens when you try to do a podcast sitting in a garden. With a cat. With a cat. (laughs) <laughs> so shall we introduce ourselves uh, we could if you want <laughs> if you feel like it Jay, you can go for it hey i'm dr jay i gave myself the job title harbinger of change because i work at a software consultancy called footworks that allows people to do things like that i gave myself the gender transgressive non-binary gender queer because i was born in new zealand which allows people to do things like that If you can't tell from the previous two, I'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. Josephine, who are you? Hi, I'm Josephine Baird. I am an activist, artist and academic. I used to like to make a spectacle of myself by treading the boards upon the stage. Uh, I do that less often these days, but considering a comeback. Uh, Instead, as an artist, I like to draw funny pictures of queer people and put them on the internet. You can see them on my Instagram normally. Or if I'm making um, fan art of big steppy ladies from Resident Evil Village, they're on my Twitter because <laughs> I feel slightly shy to put them on my Instagram. <laughs> I don't know what makes Twitter particularly I was going to say, why? <laughs> I don't know what it is. It just feels like I'm projecting out to the world <laughs> in a particularly different context. But if you're interested in seeing my steppy lady fan art, it's on Twitter. You can follow me there. I'm also a lecturer at the University of Uppsala Game Design Department, where I lecture on game design. And I also like to think of myself as a femme of international mystery because it sounds cool. It does sound cool. I don't know what it means. One day I shall find out and then I will be it. (laughs) In the meantime, I shall fake it till I make it. And also in the meantime. Being Pride Month. And then with the recent uh, UK of court cases and things like that I wanted to touch on the difference that I've felt between allyship that's performative that's about doing something to make the ally look good and allyship that's full of solidarity and I almost wanted to break them apart and just call one performative and one about real solidarity one that kind of gets into the nitty-gritty because if you're working for a company that hasn't slapped a rainbow on something and hasn't tried to put a hashtag pride message out with its current branding. There's been places that have done it in the UK and you're kind of like, you are somehow an ally for LGBT rights. There are some people I'm like, I'm surprised you even know what LGBT rights are. And yet they're more than happy to put a rainbow on it and do something for Pride Month. So, you know, as a queer who 
is contactable on social media, I will get people going, hi, we'd like you to come and talk to our pride group because pride month. And I'm like, so I'm going to talk to queer people about being queer in a workplace. And it's like, yes, because it's Pride Month, but we don't actually have any queer people on our staff. We just want you to come and talk to our staff about being queer. And, and I'm like, and you're contacting me at the start of Pride Month because um, it's Pride Month. And it's kind of like that last minute, we'll get somebody who seems an interesting speaker or who might be interesting, who's definitely part of the LGBTQ plus community to come and talk to us. and. You get that during Pride Month. You get that in LGBT History Month in the UK. And for the rest of the year, dust rolls across my inbox. Do you experience the same? Because you're also a queer person who is on social medias. And do you get the people going, hi, please come and talk to us about Pride? There have been times when I've done this. Yes. There have been times when I've certainly suspected that they were doing it in a performative way. There have also been times when I genuinely thought that actually it might make a difference. There is one occasion, which I, I cannot name, when I was asked to do this in a very large scale event, along with a number of other people for a organization where they had invited myself and a number of other people who worked in my particular field to come and talk about the value of diversity and how great it would be if they were working in a much more diverse manner. This was done on such an occasion. Uh, we went and gave that talk. And for once, I was actually paid a decent amount for doing this. And I accepted their money because I was unemployed and I felt good about it because it meant I could eat and so forth. Things I like to do now and again. And we did this thing and I tried to make it funny and interesting and approachable because, you know, you're talking to a group of people who aren't always as aware or accepting, but, you know, I thought, well, okay, they're making such an effort. They've hired an awful lot of us. There's a good bunch of us. And I was clearly representing gender. And then there was somebody representing disability in quotes. Mm -hmm. There was somebody representing race and ethnicity. And we all did our thing and we finished. And this was supposed to be the beginning of a, of a larger movement within the organization, of course. And we walked outside and I met them and I was chatting with them going, so that was interesting. You know, so do you think any of this will make a, uh, any difference at all <laughs> to a person? They went, fuck no. <laughs> no, it's not going to make any difference. And I was like, okay. And I felt really naive. I felt like I've been sort of silly. And they were, I was like, then why, why am I here? And, and they were like, well, you know, on the off chance it might, but we've done this a lot and it tends to be unfortunate that it's a little bit cynical, that we're not necessarily cynical. Even the people who actually organize these things aren't necessarily being cynical. They might actually believe that this might have an impact, but what they don't do is actually follow through. They don't actually do any of the work. What they do is they invite someone, good start. They pay that person, even better start. They then listen to that person, sort of and then they don't do anything oh so close i'm afraid mm. you don't win go home with a consolation prize i get similar i've been invited to talk to places and i've given talks and i've said you could think about doing this and i'm offering like really small tiny things like when you're running an event remind people to put their pronouns on their name tag when you're meeting in zoom put your pronouns on your names just little things like that that are 
really simple, really super easy. And people go, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's part of me going, and I know none of them are going to do it. And you just almost kind of reach that point of like, okay, so no one's going to do this. So I've spent, you know, a couple of hours writing a talk, spent an hour talking to these people, and it's just not going anywhere. However, I think there's a complication here because when I'm talking with companies that are global and they're bringing in people from countries where LGBT rights have only happened in the last couple of years, where there are other cultural layers that need to be put on to this discussion, sometimes what we might see from our perspective as being quite performative is actually from their perspective actually costs for example in Singapore it's not legal to promote gay rights so being proudly an ally putting the pink spot on doing some of those things actually for a person and a company for a corporate is having a small risk it's not something that's likely to be policed it's not something that is going to be cracked down on but it is one of those little corners there's a cost to allyship in that space whereas in the global north there's a cost to not being an ally almost if you're a company and you don't slap yourself with rainbows at the moment in pride month it's visible that you don't support lgbt rights and i think there's a cost that sometimes we might not take note of because you can't just read support or allyship in a singular function and like i said like even in the case of this particular event i do think it's complicated in the sense that i do believe perhaps i don't know i can't say but i believe that perhaps the organizers genuinely thought that this might have an impact and therefore went out of their way to do this or maybe they were super cynical but i don't know that for a fact however i have come across people who do believe that doing this kind of thing might have an impact. And I would then like to say it's a great first step. Genuinely, I'm not being rude here at all. Like, great first step. Let me talk to you about the next one. Because in those cases, like, yeah, maybe there is someone at some large corporation who sticks a rainbow flag on their banner because it's Pride Month. That's what everybody's doing. And that's what they're thinking. And maybe there's someone who thinks, I know I'll put this rainbow banner here because it might mean something to someone and they care about it, but they don't think any further than that. Or there's someone who thinks I'll put a rainbow flag on here because it'll actually make us money from the gays during pride, (laughs) right? Now, all of those things are possible and all of them, I imagine, are true. To presume that it's always the most negative, I think, is not actually accurate, nor is it helpful because it's not useful. What we can say is that just doing that in the context in which you and I currently live in is possibly not the most useful thing. It can cause the feelings of looking at that and going, okay, yeah, great. Company A that, you know, 11 months out of the year does absolutely nothing to support LGBTQ people, in fact, can actively work against them in a few cases, will then put a rainbow flag on their logo and you just go, uh, no. <laughs> I think not. And the cynical move is particularly hurtful, in fact. And it comes off as cynical. In fact, I just defined it as cynical. Even after saying that, perhaps there's someone in that department, in the social media department, who's decided that, you know what, maybe this would actually make a difference. Because it's more complicated than that. And then, as you rightly say, in another context, where simply doing that might be the most radical thing that they could even do in that. I mean, um, I'm thinking of the protests in in Moscow where people were arrested merely for whipping out a rainbow flag. Mm. 
and doing nothing else, just standing there with the rainbow flag, knowing that they were about to be arrested and possibly assaulted and brutalized. That very similar law just got passed in the Ukraine. In those contexts, doing that thing that we might look at cynically and perhaps perfectly correctly, by, by the way, I'm not saying that that's not true, that it's to be cynical about certain companies. In other cases, you're absolutely right. It's about the context. And that's why I talk about it almost as solidarity, because I'm the child of a trade unionist. I'm a child of somebody who went on strikes in solidarity with other people. So there was a cost to us, which we didn't need to bear as a family, but it was born because it supported somebody else's rights to live as well as we did. That solidarity was like, together we make the change, together we change the world. And of course, being a child of the 80s, I grew up with solidarity as a movement within Poland, with the minor strikes and things like that, and that very clear handwritten kind of solidarity vision that there was of like, we will do this because this is the only way that we get out of where we are. That notion is almost what we as LGBTQ plus people, especially people later in that alphabet, as in the Q and the plus, need to feel from places. We need to almost Mm. feel that I am standing beside you. There is a cost to me that I am bearing. Yeah, there is a cost to standing up. There is a cost to your security. There's a cost Mm. to your safety. There may be a cost to your very well-being to do this. And to be aware of this has to be part of that action, a part of that investment. I guess we're talking about people or entities with privilege saying this thing performatively Mm. or saying it with some sort of investment. And I do like that notion of investment because there's a bit of writing that I did about the difference that I've felt in my working life in the last five years between coming from spaces that would do performative allyship to working with ThoughtWorks. And sorry to anyone who thinks I'm bigging up ThoughtWorks. I am bigging up ThoughtWorks right now simply because they are the reason I am still here. They constantly just kept on investing in me. They didn't give up when I had a breakdown. They didn't give up when, I mean, I tell the story of the first time I had a team stand up for me stand up for me, with me, collectively against a bully in the workplace. And this was a moderate bullying, you know, somebody who was doing the sort of stuff that's happened to me the entirety of my work life, you know, biting comments, a little bit of disrespect, interrupting me, seeing that interrupting me can cause me to get a little flustered at times and making the most of that to kind of put a little bit more pressure on me than you would normally. And because to me, it was so routine, quotidian. It was so every day. When it happened, I was almost like, oh, it was just like, okay, so I've put the shirt on and it's it's got that slightly uncomfortable shoulder feeling today. And what I didn't expect was straight after that meeting, I was in a huddle with the team, with everyone going, this is unacceptable. How do we protect Jay from this? How do we make sure that it's safe for Jay to be on this project, that we protect them from what's going on? And said, a few things up that the team followed the whole way through the project. Everybody backed me up in meetings, just made sure that I felt protected. And even in the final presentation, when the person tried to disrupt the final presentation, I saw my project manager basically almost get to his feet to protect me. We're talking that investment in protecting me, which meant that I could just 
be really calm and come back with a really calm statement because I didn't feel as under attack. This team had put their self in harm's way for me. And I broke down after that because I'd never experienced that in the entirety of my working life. You cannot imagine the difference between that sensation that this isn't a fight that you're having to do on your own and you're being questioned as to why you're always in these fights to having somebody say, no, half sick, this is really uncool. And effectively the entire team standing in front of you to protect you from this bully. And literally I had a massive breakdown afterwards. And it was simply because I had to grieve and mourn all of the years that I'd had to be in that battle on my own without that support and just recognizing how important it was to get that level of support from people. And, you know, ThoughtWorks continued to invest in me and continued to stand by me, even at that point, and just kept on finding the right ways to change the world so that I could be all myself. It sounds weird because everyone's like, oh, but, you know, that's what you should expect from a workplace. And, you know, there's a whole pile of trite things that you can say, but there is such a difference that you feel when people have your back or not just have your back. People have stood in front of you to take the blow almost and that's a very very different thing that solidarity feeling is something that doesn't come in performative corporations it comes in corporations with solidarity as a mindset it's part of how they thought about it not part of how they were told to do it so a performative mindset says I'm doing the thing I'm putting the rainbows on I know that I've got to have an LGBT support group or something like that I've got these policies tick 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 something like that bullying happens because I've been in those spaces and the mindset is yes and we've got an LGBT group you can go talk to them and there's this and there's this the solidarity mindset says hey half sick somebody is being bullied because of systemic oppression because of this let's band together and fix this problem. Let's break this down. Let's support them. Let's protect them from this. And it's about the different ways of thinking about the problem and the different ways of thinking about support and that notion of being an ally. The thing that we both recognize that we wanted to talk about, which is that during Pride Month, there's very often that you will see companies that you would not expect to slap a rainbow flag on their logos which would lead you to suspect that perhaps their intention was not necessarily entirely solidarity-based. And the difference between what an organization or a group of any kind might do that would look like that. My thoughts on it is it's at the micro level, we as queers detect that difference between an organization whose rainbows are about solidarity, support, and where the rainbows are about performance, because while that macro level might look the same, you tell at the micro level what the difference is. You feel the difference. You feel the inclusion. You feel the support. And it's very different between those two organizations, which both during Pride Month will have put a banner out and will have their LGBT inclusion policies and will have all of that. But one of them is doing it with a mindset that, stays at the macro level and says we've got these things and they don't have that mindset that the other one does at the micro level there's not that all-pervading idea that flows throughout the company around 
this is the way that it should work. And the reason that I focus on the micro level is because that's where you feel the difference. We can feel the difference between a performative ally workplace and a non-performative ally workplace. It's when I try to sign in at a new client and I say to the receptionist, hi, my name is Jay. And they're like, how do you spell that? And I'm like, just the letter J. Or you can use Dr. J. And they're like, oh, fantastic. And then there's two questions that come up next. One of which is, what did you change it from? Or something like that. And the other one is, that's a cool name. Unfortunately, my computer needs two letters. How do you best suggest we solve it? It's that mindset at that micro level reflects the mindset of the company at a macro level. Because a company sets the standard at which they expect people to behave within this company. Within this company, our norms are this. And when your norms are solidarity-based, when your norms are about that mindset of solidarity, that leads to a very different sensation and very different actions. Because solidarity is hard to show at macro level. Because it can still come across as performative. So what do you recommend doing in that case? You still do the thing. Be aware that you'll be told that you're performative. But also be aware that it's the micro level interactions. It's that base standard that you set within the company. It's that base standard of interaction. It's the mindset around that. That is the difference that people feel. I'm looking at company A. And they put a rainbow flag on their logo. And my reaction is, I'm not entirely sure that this is entirely solidarity, much more mm-hmm. a marketing ploy. How do I know that? Is that a micro experience? Is that a personal experience? How do I get a sense that any organization is acting in a way that is somewhat genuine in its care towards LGBTQ people when they make such an action? What makes me feel like they're being genuine. What thing does that? I'm not entirely sure I have an answer. I guess it's lots of evidence of that happening. I've been looking at queer underwear companies and I've noticed that a number of them now create a whole range of products and they create them in two styles, a pouch front and a flat front. Now that to me is a wonderfully non-gendered way of describing the different style of underwear And all of their different underwears from jock straps to boxes to lacy one pieces come in two cuts, pouch front and flat front. Now, there's part of me going, so we know that when there will be an inclusive mindset organization who's making clothing within the mainstream, who starts referring to their products in the same way. It also came up when pronouns started to come into the bios of social media because the companies who had the performative mindset said, yes, you can put your pronouns in your bio. We'll allow you to put your pronouns in your bio. And when people look at your bio, they will see your pronouns. And it's like, fantastic. The companies who really understood what this was about basically said, you need pronouns when you at somebody, you need pronouns when you include somebody in a conversation. So when you pick up somebody's name, I will give you a pronoun field and I will throw that pronoun field next to the name when you add somebody in a conversation, which is how Slack's done it. Now that to me shows the difference between a solidarity mindset 
and a performative mindset. The performative mindset says we'll do the minimum so that we can appear to do something and it's kind of useful, but not really. And it does a little bit, but not really. And that's kind of enough. Whereas the other one says, yes, we'll put the effort in, we'll put the investment in and we will make something that actually works to solve a problem for this group that's been historically discriminated against. Context is everything. So, for example, a organization that puts in the pronouns might be a really huge change for them and might be a really big change in the context within which they're doing it and therefore is not a performative act at all. In mm. fact, it might be incredibly radical act. And then also, how could you then show that that organization isn't just doing it to be performative, even if they did the more radical thing? So, for example, you said the flat front of the power trend. Mm. What if it's a particular company who wants the attention for being particularly edgy and just goes, ah, we're going to do this because they're not doing it actually because they give a shit. <laughs> they're doing it because... They want the attention for doing it. So the difficulty with this is you and I can define some sort of way of considering the difference between what is performative and what is solidarity. But how do we know the difference? So for me, it's the feeling. It's the sensation you get. And it comes down to, do you feel like they included you? Do you feel like they've thought about you? And it's like harking back to that very first episode of oh so long ago when we were naive and we thought this was just a fun little thing for the first couple of weeks of lockdown. We were talking about mispronouning, not misgendering, but mispronouning. And we talked about the difference between somebody doing it intentional and unintentional and that we could always feel and we could always tell because we can tell. And I think that you can tell when somebody is being sincere and when somebody isn't being sincere. I think we can tell at a corporate level by the actions of its employees because a corporation, a team, sets the behavior that it will accept. I think you can tell by the actions of its employees and the people, or even more especially, the people who are in charge, who have the privilege and opportunity because they're the ones who actually set it. Because they're the ones who do set it. Because like you can tell the actions of the employees, usually like perhaps there'll be lots and lots of positive stories coming out from individuals. Like, for example, Jay here talking about ThoughtWorks, who talks very passionately about the care that you feel that this company is providing because of the way you talk about it and because of the writing that you've produced that is then shared by them on a larger, more macro level. Because I think that's a huge step. And that's a big investment. And that's what I mean about investment. They're the ones who are choosing to put you forward. They're not just saying, hey, look at us, look how great we are. Or yes, we believe in this. No, they're saying we believe in this. We're invested in this to the point that we're going to actually put forward someone who we believe can say this with a voice. And yes, you're right. I think there is a sense of feeling. Yes, I have a feeling about certain companies when they put up their rainbow flag and I think, uh, no. <laughs> you know, Yes, there are certain universal signs that if someone's going to say X, they probably are pretty cool. But it's still going to be that sensation, right? And that's a lot of little things, which mm. I think is what you were trying to say before. One of those things was the experience you had in that meeting with your colleagues, which then led you to write something about it or talk about it on a podcast, which then gets heard by other people. All these tiny little knock-on effects that create this sensation, this feeling 
that we have when we look at a particular organization or a company who says, hey, we are invested in this idea. We're not just invested in making a profit from putting up a bunch of colors for June. One of the big things you said there was that it's not just that I talk about it. It's that when I talk about it, it's promoted, it's pushed. And it's not just pushed as, look how great we are. It's pushed, here is somebody writing about what it's like here, we which use, is a slightly different thing. Well, you said it before, which I really like. And, and I'm not invested in ThoughtWorks. I don't work there. So I could say this with certain distance, right? <laughs> in the sense of like, they don't pay, you can pay me money, ThoughtWorks. You're very welcome to. I don't think there's any conflict or interest there, but they don't. And so I'm not sponsored content. When I say the thing that I like that Jay says about them is that they don't just sort of hire you, they celebrate you. You know, they don't just sort of say, hey, we're here for pride. They actually say, we're here for pride. And here's someone who's talking about this in a really challenging way. Let's put that person forward. And then you, Jay, can be the whole you as part of this group of people who are working towards whatever you're working towards, <laughs> you know, because I still don't quite know what the works does. <laughs> you've been in the offices more than once. You've, I you've... do know. I have an idea. I'm being facetious, Jay. I was doing oh, comic no. effect. Oh, we've reached that point in the podcast, which means we've finished the main topic. We've wrapped it up. And now Josephine gets to be facetious. This is the only reason I do it. <laughs> no, I think I know what you're saying, Jay. I really do. I guess the difficulty is, Seeing your sense of self become a marketing tool as opposed to, you know, especially right now, it's kind of painful to read the news and go, oh, wow, lots of people hate us and they're being given lots of platforms to say that. And then June rolls around and lots of companies who said bugger all about it (laughs) all year suddenly just say, hey, aren't the queers great? And it's like, are we? (laughs) (laughs) That's good to know. There's a little bit of cognitive dissonance, a little bit of like, uh, okay, would you like to say that more robustly at other times of the year? Have more than just your diversity and inclusion person say it. Have your entire leadership team stand up and say it. Have the people who run the company say it, not just, oh, yeah, that was a statement from our diversity, equity and inclusion group. I originally thought this was quite an easy conversation because we haven't recorded for a bit. We've both had a couple of really intense weeks. And I thought this is one of those really easy conversations for us to get into the difference between performative and solidarity. And of course, it's way more complicated. It is complicated. It is so complicated. Yeah, because I mean, none of these things are done in a vacuum. All these actions are important. It's one of the things that I was saying when I was first studying gender studies. This is many years ago at this point. I was studying gender studies in the early 2000s and one of the things that was a bit of a trend at the time and unfortunately does not seem to have changed that much is the definition of certain actions as being inherently positive and certain actions as being inherently negative certain things were are transgressive and therefore great and certain things were regressive and therefore bad and i argued as a young queer i was arguing against this this is what my master's degree is about Dear listener, if you ever want to read my master's thesis, it is basically this. Not everything can be boiled down to just simply that binary. That an act that you think might appear on the surface to be regressive, say, for example, transitioning to a binary gender, 
which was an argument being forwarded at the time. I was saying that is quite a radical act in certain contexts. In fact, I would say it's a pretty radical act in nearly every context. It's about who you are, where you are, what you're doing, and what boundaries you are transgressing, what laws that you are having to deal with, what social conventions you're having to struggle under. So the smallest act can be transgressive because of what you are doing, who you are, and where you are. And that's why when we talk about things like this, solidarity can be any number of different things. And that's also its greatest strength, just because it isn't huge and performative. In fact, almost always the most important solidarities are not huge and performative and something you'll get some sort of immediate reaction from. There'll be the minor, small act that makes a huge difference, like in Jay's case, the discussion of this moment of solidarity that may not have been anything more than an automatic reaction from people who give a shit. So when a company makes a large gesture, I'm all for it, but it has the same weight in my mind, unless it has investment as well, unless it has the investment of genuinely caring about it, and therefore has often, unfortunately, some measure of risk. Now, I'm not saying cataclysmic risk, but just something right? Because you have to say, I believe in this. You have to say, this is what's right. Now you can do that all sorts of different ways. And perhaps not just on June. (laughs) (laughs) Prayers are for every day, not just for Christmas, right? (laughs) Having just watched a very elderly cat, who's actually not that large, (laughs) attempt to take on a fucking pigeon. She came barreling out and attempted to take on a fucking ginormous wood pigeon. And I'm just sitting there like, Katie, I've yet to see you successfully catch a fly. And she's sitting there and she's doing like the the mirping and everything. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're taking on a fucking pigeon, which of course flew off. But I'm just like, props to your cat. (laughs) That's a mental image I think we should leave our listeners with. (laughs) Thank you for joining us again this week, dear listener. It's been a year. Happy anniversary. I saw the other day that on this day we released episode three and I'm like, fucking hell. We didn't do our extra special anniversary episode yet. And dear listener, it's a doozy because in it, I believe we might actually have the conversation we've been threatening for the last six months. Oh, you mean the one about Keanu Reeves being absolutely breathtaking? Yeah, I thought we'd talk about that next week, Joe. (laughs) Did I tell you I watched that really, really bad film? Most of the reviews were like, is this a porn script that's just been sold to Keanu? <laughs> that sounds amazing, by the way. <laughs> it's called Siberia, I think. Okay. It's kind of got the level of script writing that you would get in an Emmanuel film. I was half worrying you were about to say Johnny Mnemonic, and you would not be wrong. <laughs> but I was worried you were going to say that. And the no, phrase I, I was looking for last week when we were talking about this, Jay, is Hollywood Helper. Have you ever heard about this? Hollywood Helper is a actor who, in an otherwise absolutely terrible movie, is excellent and therefore elevates the film, right? So anything with John Malkovich in it, for example, yeah. or anything with Keanu Reeves in it, doesn't matter what they're in, it can be absolute tripe <laughs> for some reason because they're in it, it sort of elevates the whole thing. They are a Hollywood helper. I believe that that describes exactly his role in this film, because when I had a look on IMDb, 
and it made 600,000 or something on its release. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably everyone going, oh, Keanu's in a film. Let's go and have a look at it. You could quantify the emotion. Oh, Keanu's in something. I'll watch it. (laughs) Yeah. I love that every week you come with another Keanu Reeves movie. (laughs) See, listener, this is the thing. (laughs) You think I'm here for the intellectual stimulation. You think I'm here for the discussion of the complicated factors of life. I'm here to talk about Keanu Reeves at the end of the episode because it's what makes me giggle. (laughs) I just love the fact that we have gone from our previous state. Keanu has taken us to this wonderful happy state, which shows just how breathtaking he is. He is breathtaking. And one day, dear listener, my goal is for Keanu Reeves to come join us on this podcast. Oh, I would literally die slash melt slash swoosh. With that visual image in mind, please do have a wonderful week. Dear listener, if you'd be interested in supporting us, please come to patreon.com slash it is complicated. Any money that you donate there goes to us to have guests on who come and talk about their queer experiences. The money that you donate to us, we like to pay our guests. So anything you put there would lead to us eventually inviting Keanu Reeves on. Although saying that, I'm not entirely sure he needs your money. We'll give it to queers instead. We'll ask him to come on and, and donate his fee, his massive fee that we will be able to afford to a breathtaking cause. Exactly. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Also during that, two kites were fighting slash fucking slash fighting over something as they went past. <laughs> two red kites, and I'm just sitting there like, oh my god, what the f <laughs> is is this like Murderville or something? God. <laughs> <laughs> it must end. It must end sometime. <laughs>